It's that we are breaking down 1 Peter 1.13 again. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end or hope completely upon the grace that is being brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how the Greek says that when it says <clears throat> to gird up the loins of your mind, the word mind there is uh, dianoia. And it, it means it's your imagination. It's your deep thinking, not just your surface thoughts. And you got to do this intentionally. <clears throat> I got Sunday's outline here because it uh, may pull a few things from it because it's just so, so right in line with what we're talking about. If you're going to fulfill God's will for your life, you and I need to take charge of our imagination. When it says to gird up the loins of your mind, gird up, once again, pull it up. Don't allow it to drag the ground. It's the picture of those long oriental gowns, which they, they would walk and they would drag the ground. So rather than have them dragging the ground and picking up all that dirt, they said, but pull them up and tie them off. And so God's telling us to do that with our imagination, our dianoia, our deep thoughts, you know, to take charge of them. And what really gets me is it says the loins of your mind, the word loins there. One Greek uh, definition I looked up actually said the reproductive reasoning of your mind. Wow. Reproductive. It's the, your mind, your imagination is reproducing in your life. Most of you have heard Proverbs 23, 7, where the end of the verse says, as a man, or, or it's a partial verse, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, we, we are uh, where we're, our imagination is. Is it in the word of God? Am I allowing myself to define me or am I allowing the revelation of Jesus Christ to define me as revealed in the scriptures, the written word of God? That's really powerful, guys, really powerful. One of the things I've been doing is just when I, I don't do it perfectly, but I've been really uh, intentionally just thinking of Jesus, starting my day off just thinking about Jesus. And then as I think about Jesus and I have scripture and my, one of my big ones is Hebrews uh, Chapter three and verse one, where it says, uh, uh, it says to consider the apostle. It says, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the Greek says, uh, give attentive attention to, to set your mind down upon the apostle, the one sent to represent God to us and the high priest, the one who represents us to God of our confession, Christ Jesus. And so I think of that and then I think, wow. And I'm in him because I've received his abundance of grace and gift of righteousness. I am in him. In other words, where he is, I am, you know, so that's just powerful. And then I start thinking that way because I'm going to say something here that's really wild. If you miss everything I say, think of this. Some of you may think it's blasphemy, but it's actually very, very biblical. It's new covenant. You don't believe me? Just read Jesus prayer in John 17 and you'll see that I'm totally in line with scripture. But what if you walked around? like Jesus, as a born-again child of God. Now, you're not Jesus, the person, but in your spirit, you're as he is. What if we walked around like that? But, you know, we're too busy allowing the world to define us or our own heart to define us. Well, you've never been any good at this. You've never been. It ain't about you. It's about who you're in and who's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What if we walked around like Jesus? Good thought. That's exactly how we're supposed to walk around. A friend of mine, Pastor Rich Van Winkle, has a book uh, called As He Is, So Are You. And I've told you the title I love, or the, on the cover of the book. It's so cool because it shows a guy looking in the mirror, and in the mirror is Jesus. You know, that's how we're supposed to think, guys. 
You know, another guy uh, just wrote a book, uh, Pastor Caleb Gibson. I did an endorsement for it. He's in Texas. And I, uh, he talks about a vine. We always think of a vine. We're a branch. He is the vine. What do we think of? We think of a tree, right? We think there's a trunk. It didn't say a tree. It said a branch or a vine. You know the branches of the vine? You can't even tell them. They're like so one with the vine. They're just little shoots off. I'm telling you guys, we're in Christ. If you're born again, I'm talking to myself as much as anybody because that's the fight of faith is to believe that his covenant that we're in is that good because of what Jesus has done, not our merit, not anything about it. It's not nothing to do with our greatness. It's his greatness. All we give him is our weakness. We glory in our weakness. So his power tabernacles us. But that's how God wants us to walk around. As Christ is. Who you are in Christ is who Christ is. The hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. What's that saying? The glory is the manifested, manifest goodness of God. In whatever form it takes or whatever, in whatever form is needed. Man, that's good. So a big key is how, what we do with our imagination. And we talk a lot about Isaiah 26.3, and that's what a lot of is going to be in this outline. I, I pray you never get tired of that verse because that is powerful. When I saw the end of that verse where it says, because he trusts in the end, I thought, oh, my, my. That's what it means to trust in God, to keep my imagination stayed on him. Wow. When my mind is, my, my imagination is on him, and who, how many, you know, fear, you're either going to be, <clears throat> how did I, I did a Facebook post, you're either going to be uh, led by faith or uh, in bondage to fear. Seriously. And fear is all around us. And think about it. I was thinking, you know, I mean, there's, well, what if this goes wrong? And what if I'm disgraced and all that? Listen, the Bible says it, with faith in him, you'll never be humiliated. Never be disgraced. Jesus took that for us at the cross. Where's that at, Chris? All right. Psalm 31, verse 1. Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. As it is written, it talks about that. We would never be ashamed, disgraced, humiliated. Wow. Those are promises. We need to proclaim them. We need to say them. We need to agree with them. We need to use our imagination to see yourself in those promises. Now, let me say this also. The Bible, well, go there. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 4. I want you to look at this, and I want to make a statement, and we're going to get in the outline. 2 Corinthians 4, and look at verse 13. <clears throat> we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Once again, how do you believe? When your mind is stayed upon him, your imagination is stayed upon him through the word of God, the scriptures, the living word through the written word. That's what it means. But notice it says we believe and then we speak. Now, I'm not against speaking to help your belief. But just because you say something does not mean it, it, you believe it. See, we believe, therefore we speak, and that's what happens. I'm going to show you this verse in, um, from um, Matthew chapter 6. And you know it from the King James or the New King James, but I want to show it to you <clears throat> from our beloved friend, the New American Standard Bible. Matthew chapter 6, look at this. 
the King James says in, hold on here, I'll find it. There it is. Verse 7, Matthew 6, 7. But when you pray, King James, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Listen to the New American Standard. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetitions. I love that. Thoughtless repetition as do the Gentiles. That's my point. For they think they'll be heard for their much speaking. What, what, the point is, we, well, we need to be putting our imagination into what we're meditating on in the word. Hopefully we are doing that. And then when we declare it, we need to see ourselves in that promise. I talk a lot about <clears throat> there's a difference between meditating on or upon the word and in the word. But you start seeing yourself in the word. All right, let's get into the outline. <clears throat> Romans 1.21 reveals that the last step in hardening, hardening your heart toward God is becoming vain in your imagination. Wow. And I think of the word vain, and I think of what we just read in Matthew 6.7. Vain repetitions or thoughtless repetition. We need to engage our mind. This is where a lot of people quit praying in tongues because they think because the scripture says your understanding is unfruitful, they think they have to go mindless. You can't go mindless contrary to the way some people look. You've got to engage your mind. We need to begin to see it. We need to intentionally gird up the loins of our mind, focus on the word and say, this is what God says. I have a friend whose wife, I love this, she says, she'll go uh, sometimes in the restroom and she looks at herself in the mirror and said, you knock it off. She goes, I talk to myself like a spoiled two-year-old. said, you knock it off. You're not acting like that. You know, that's how we need to take charge. See, we, we have this idea that God's just, God is in control. Been one of the most damaging statements probably ever released in the body of Christ into the world. God's in control. Just don't worry about it. God's in control. No, he's not. You gotta, you gotta, he's given you the authority. He said the violent, Matthew 11, take the kingdom of God by force. Now watch this. How do we take it? Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, fear not little flock at your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if God gave us the kingdom, why do I have to, I need to be intentional. Paul talked in 1 Corinthians 9, he goes, I buffet my body. Lest by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or disqualified. You hear that? God's given us the grace to do these things. And it starts in the way you think, your imagination. Where is your We're using our imagination all the time. Right now you're thinking, boy, I wonder if it's snowing. I wonder if it's, you know, you could be. I'm not. Point being, you're always thinking and you're always using your imagination. And vain imaginations when we get away from the promises of God and we go out there just doing whatever. All right. So let's, let's and believe it or not, even vain imagination in a negative sense will work against you. We'll see that here in a minute. All right. Letter A. This doesn't mean your imagination stops working when it becomes vain. It means that it starts working against you. Wow. It starts working against you. You know your imagination can work against you. And listen, you want to know what people really believe? Listen to them talk. I'm talking to you. Start with yourself. 
right? I can tell, I thought today I was talking about something to somebody and I thought it wasn't like, it was what I call subtle negative. And there are negative things. I'm not saying we don't, we, we're not in denial. That's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but it was that whiny attitude and it wasn't overt. And I caught it later and thought, you know, Lord, that was wrong on my behalf. I'm, I'm better than that because the better one lives in me. But see, I caught it. Amen. And by the grace of God, I give him all the praise. Amen. <clears throat> so it doesn't mean when your imagination becomes vain that it stops working. It simply means that it's working against you. Imagination is defined as the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Since you're in 2 Corinthians 4, let me say this one, and then we're going to go to Hebrews 11. But look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hold on, I'm thinking of something. Hallelujah. Look at this. Verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, boy, there's a revelation there. There's a revelation right there. Your light affliction, what you're going through, what we go through, is but for a moment. Did you catch that? In light of eternity, it's nothing. Wow. That's what Paul, and you know, Paul's light affliction was pretty heavy. <laughs> Amen? Pretty serious persecution. For a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen. I don't believe that means he was walking around with his eyes shut. But we do look at the things which are not seen. Now, how in the world can you look at things which are not seen? You have to be doing it with the eyes of your heart, which is your imagination. Think about that. He said, even for him to call his affliction light, he had to be looking to the reward. You know, I want to say this before we move on. Uh, uh, but we don't think about heaven enough. We need to. This life's the shortest thing you'll ever do. We need to constantly be thinking about it. Not that we want to go there prematurely. It's short enough the way it is. You don't want to go out early. You want to finish your course. But it's very, very short. And I believe having an eternal perspective. Yeah, uh, Colossians 1.5 says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 4, I believe it is, talks about it's reserved for you in heaven. And we pull down as much as we can get in this life as possible. But the bottom line, this life is not our hope. We're called strangers and pilgrims in 1 Peter 2.11. Amen? So that's what he's saying. And, that, and by the way, the context of this, when he talked about looking at things which were not seen, is eternity. Because you read, he talks about the glorified body and, and, and going into chapter 5. But he says, we look not at the things which are seen, but at, we're looking at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, fleeting for a moment, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now I'll jump over to our good friend Hebrews chapter 11, often referred to as the Hall of Faith or Hall of Fame of Faith or however you want to say that. But look, this is so, so good. I'm going to do the first one I did last, last this past Sunday, and then I'm going to show you a couple that I didn't do. Look at verse 27. It speaks of Moses. It said, by faith, Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. Now, how did Moses endure? How did Moses endure? It's going to tell you right here. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. What? 
How do you see someone who's invisible? The eyes of your heart, your imagination. Isn't that awesome? That's how Moses endured. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Same chapter, jump back over. Well, jump up to verse 15. 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They seen them afar off. Talk about these Old Testament saints. They didn't receive them. They seen them afar off. They were persuaded of them, seen them, seen them afar off. They were persuaded and embraced them. And then they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Look at verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful or their mind had been full of that country or this uh, leaving Egypt and leave, you know, entering the promised land and the, the good things of this life in exchange for the kingdom of God. And truly, if their mind had been full of that country from whence they came out of Egypt, came out, they might have had opportunity to return. You know why people return back to the vomit, as Second Peter 2 calls it? Because their mind, they haven't left in their heart. Amen. That's why repentance is so important. Repenting from dead works and just living a life of, because, you know, where your heart's at, that's where you're at. Amen. Remember we talked about that Sunday out of the Tower of Babel, out of Genesis 11. And it just so fascinates me for God went down to see what they, the, the, what they had built. But if you read there, they weren't done building it. But God said he went, they went down to see what they had built. Why? Because in their heart, they had already done it. Now look at verse 3 of uh, Hebrews 11. This is good. It's, this is all these people that did great exploits of faith under the Old Testament and, and, and Old Covenant. And let me say this to you. What, what is this chapter saying? First of all, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. You know, and I've heard people teach messages on now faith. It's not really a very good exegesis or whatever you want to call it. It's not saying, he's saying in the new covenant, it's faith. But it's amazing that all these Old Testament saints that are listed here, they all did great exploits by faith, not by the works of the law. Think about what I just said. That's what the lesson here in Hebrews chapter 11 is, that even under the old covenant, it was still faith, not the works of the law. Isn't that good? And, and you read uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, it talks about the gospel being preached unto them under the old covenant. But it didn't profit them because it was not mixed with faith. Now watch this. How could the gospel be preached unto the Old Testament saints if the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how was it preached unto the Old Testament saints who lived before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? It was preached in type and shadow. And even under the Old Covenant, it was faith. No one can be justified by the works of the law. And that's what Hebrews 11 is saying, that though even though they were Old Covenant saints, the exploits they did were still done by faith. And faith involves using your imagination. Look at verse, look at this. <clears throat> look at verse 3. Through faith, 
we understand that the worlds or the ages were framed by the word of God. In other words, the ages, the, the difference that was made in each age or generation that it speaks of in, in the different time these Old Testament saints lived under the Old Covenant, they were framed by the rhema of God. Rhema means they had a specific spoken word. I'm going to give you another one. Well, I'm coming right back here, but I want to show you something. Rhema means is a revealed word of God. Well, I'll just give it to you. You know the scripture in Luke 137 where it says with God, all things are possible or with God, nothing shall be impossible. Do you know what the Greek says? I didn't get this. A friend of mine told me this and I looked it up though after he told me. He said, it literally means nothing shall be impossible to a person who has a rhema word of God. And I looked it up and sure enough, that's what rhema's in there. It blew me away. I thought, now that's a revelation. And so why am I saying that? Because here in Hebrews 11.3, it says through faith, not the works of the law. We understand that the ages were framed by the rhema, the revealed word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It doesn't say they were not made of things which do not exist. It says they do not appear. They're not, they're not visible in the natural, but they are a reality in the spirit. One of the things you and I need to get a hold of is the spirit world's real. It's real. Very real. Probably more real than this world. The physical world. And that's what they did. They had a rhema word from God. They framed their ages, the places they lived. And it says, and it says, uh, but that things that, that, that they were made or, or excuse me, things which are seen were not made out of things which do appear. In other words, the changing of their generation and their age that they lived in was not done through things you see, but it was done through spiritual substance, if you will. It didn't say they didn't exist. These things exist. Hallelujah. All right. Jump down to number C in your outline. Imagination is the ability to see something with your mind or your heart that you cannot see with your eyes. Go back to our good friend in Genesis 13. This was when I shared this one Sunday. Abram took his nephew Lot, which I don't believe that was God's plan because God said, get away from your kindred. Lot's name means veiled. You know, and I, I think that's interesting. But I want to show you verse 14 again. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, after the veils removed from your heart, you can hear God. We read that in Hebrew, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, uh, well, it says you back up and it says, when Moses is read, the veils upon, your, upon their heart. In other words, when the law is read, there's a veil upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, the heart, turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. I remember this with Dawson, when Dawson and I drove school bus. And, and he was, we were, I would talk New Covenant. He had, Dawson, been a Christian for years. He was the only one that was really hearing me. Of all those professing believers, I think Dawson was the only one that, I mean, it just clicked because he was hungry for God. Not that I'm not saying other people weren't. I don't know. I'm not judging anybody's heart. But I'm saying when it comes to the new covenant, a lot of people can't hear. And they think when you talk about grace, you're talking about, oh, you just mean being loose. I'll give you an example. So I'm just giving him grace. I know what people mean when they say that, but you're really giving him mercy. 
When you say you're giving them grace, I guess you could squeeze that in. I don't know. But that's really you're giving them mercy or or not giving them judgment, which is giving them mercy. Amen? So, So my point is when the veil's removed from your heart, when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Or in the Greek says in 2 Corinthians 3.16, it's the more the heart turns to the Lord, the more the veil's removed from your heart. I'm still to this day having the veil removed and seeing how awesome Jesus is. But as my heart continues to sit in that disposition of turning to the Lord, of reading my Bible with my Jesus glasses on, it turns to the Lord and the veil's taken away. It says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. That's what God's saying to us. us. Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. God wants us to look from the place where we are at geographically to look from there, but to look with the eyes of our heart through the word of God to the vision. We're talking about how to fulfill God's will for your life. And and you have to begin to engage your imagination intentionally. Practice, practice, practice. People say practice makes perfect. I say no, practice makes permanent. (laughs) If you're practicing the wrong things, it's not going to make you perfect. In other words, if you're practicing allowing your imagination to run wild like Esau, right? It's, you know, it's, you're, that's going to make a permanently bad habit. It's been said that you form your habits, then your habits form you. It's also been said the secret to your futures hidden in your daily routine. That can be positive or negative. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so your, your imagination is reproducing in your life. Letter D, you can't function in your daily life without using your imagination. You think in pictures. Wow. You think in pictures. Isn't that something? Hallelujah. I'm looking at my notes, what I wrote. Let me... Mm. We need to intentionally activate our imaginations. Let me say this. One of the enemies of this is is a false grace mindset that says, um, I wrote this down. Any grace that dismisses activity or a work from rest is a counterfeit grace. So somebody said, well, you're you're saying we got to, well, the Bible says, in Hebrews 4.11, so let us labor, therefore, to rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. We labor to rest, and you do that in your heart. You do that with your imagination. You do that by meditating on the Word of God. You know, when worry comes, and it comes at all of us, we have a choice, right? We have a choice to stand up with it and declare that God is good and that we are in covenant with God through Jesus. And in this covenant, God has promised to take care of me exactly like he would take care of Jesus. Amen. That's the promise. But why isn't that a reality if that's because very few people claim it? Very few people uh, even recognize it's a reality. Jesus was resurrected and I've, uh, on the eighth day, or excuse me, the baby boy, Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week, which would have been the eighth day, right? In the Old Testament, this is a type and a picture of our new birth. 
because the baby boy was circumcised on the eighth day, the eighth day guaranteed that that little baby boy would go completely through the Sabbath, which was the seventh day, right? And in the new covenant, the sign of the covenant is not male circumcision. It's circumcision of the heart, right? Romans 2, 28 and 29, Hebrew, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, right? So what's that saying? In the old covenant, you would work six days and then you would rest. In the new covenant, our Sabbath was resurrected the first day, which says we work from rest. And I'm saying all that to say you have to be intentional in engaging your imagination. You got to work, <laughs> not to earn, but to enter what's already been earned for you. If you read Numbers 13, Moses sends out 12 spies. You know the story, right? God's, if you read that, it said God gave them the land. But how many know just because God gave them the land, it wasn't automatically theirs? Right? They had to take it. They had to drive out some enemies. And you know the story. The 10 of the 12 spies came back with what God called an evil report. And they were reporting everything they reported was factual but they were exalting the facts above the truth. Joshua and Caleb were of a different spirit and they exalted the truth above the facts. They didn't deny the facts, but they exalted the truth above the facts. That's powerful. We're talking about how to fulfill God's will for your life. This is how we do it. But I'm telling you, I think, of, I think it's Jeremiah 22, 21, where God said, I tried to speak to you in your prosperity, but you wouldn't hear. And I think of my beloved America. You know, I love this country, but as a whole, if we only recognize the seriousness of some of this stuff, it's typical human nature. When things are easy, we let our guard down. We stop fighting. But we need to keep our guard. This is what the Holy Spirit is so amazing if we stay with him in the word, guiding us into the word, he keeps us fired up. And he even works with us through our growth, stupidities and immaturities and all that. And that's what I love about God. He's good even when we're not. One of the many things I love about him. But, but he doesn't want you to stay there. God loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to stay. You see, you stay where you're at. Just like Abram in Genesis 13, he said, look. If you read further on down in Genesis 13, after he, as far as he could see, in other words, as much as he had vision for, then he went and walked. He walked, he claimed it. Once again, like the promised land, it's not talking about heaven. You're not casting anybody out of heaven. You're not driving out any ites out of heaven. It's talking about the abundant life in this world. All the, the promises that God has given us. Letter E, you can't really understand something until you can picture it in your mind. Man, is that true? Is that ever true? Boy, that's so good. If you can't picture something, excuse me, if you can picture something, you can do it. I believe when Jesus said in uh, John 5, 19, he said, I don't do anything except what I see my father do. I believe that when he got up in Mark 135 and he went out into a solitary place and there prayed, I believe he was seeing what the father was doing in his heart was, was going to do through him that day. I mean, he was seeing him do it, but the father's power. He said, the father in him does the works, Jesus said. 
right? Hallelujah. So let me, let me say that again. If you can picture something, you can do it. Imagination is further defined as creative ability and resourcefulness. Creative ability and resourcefulness. You can't create without an imagination. So powerful. The reason we live limited lives is because we live with limited imaginations. How do we take the limits off of our imagination? We go to the Word of God. We find promises. Like I've been showing you the one that I, I've been in love with. I claim it for myself, but I need to pray it for you too. But you have to claim it. Well, let, oh boy, I'll go there, but I want to show you another one since I'm over here in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Here it is, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, boy, people get, get upset when you share that one. Because people say, oh, God's not giving his glory to anyone else. Well, he's not going to give it away, but he gives it to us, his children. Amen. And then what about, there's, yes, there's verses in Isaiah, but he's talking about, I'm not giving my glory to an idol. But if you're in him, he prayed. Well, let me show you that one too. So you know, I'm not, this is not heresy. This is in the Bible. The new, these, Jesus prayed this. I believe he got his prayers answered. Now we have to receive it. I agree with that. But if you read in, in this amazing prayer, this high priestly prayer in John 17, oh, he talks about being one in us. And, and look at verse 23. And, or 22, I'm sorry. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Doesn't Isaiah 42, 8 said he won't give his glory to anyone else? It does. He won't give his glory to an idol. But he'll share it with you. There's so much. 1 Corinthians 2, look at this. I didn't mean to get on this subject, but boy, it's good. We have such a religious mindset sometimes that we don't even realize it. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Oh, my, my. That's amazing. Hallelujah. Once again, he is the vine. We are the branches, but we're vine branches, not tree branches. <laughs> you can't tell us apart, right? 2 Corinthians 2.14, I mentioned that. God always causes us to triumph and make manifest, always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor or the, the flavor of his knowledge by us in every place. We need to see that with our heart. Here's another one. Look at H. If you can't see something on the inside, you won't be able to see it manifest in your life, such as healing. Wow. When the Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, for God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in these, the Hebrew word yetzer is translated imagination in the Old Testament was also translated mind. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind imagination is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Letter J. When it says keep your mind stayed on the Lord, it's talking about more than just having thoughts concerning God. It means to think about God until it paints an image on the inside of you and you begin to see things from his perspective. Boy, that is worth gold. You ought to underline that. If you're going to a tattoo shop, 
tattoo this whole line in there. That'd be great to have on your arm or something. When it, when it says, keep your mind stayed on the Lord, it's talking about more than just having thoughts concerning God. It means to think about God until it paints an image on the inside of you and you begin to see things from his perspective. Think about that. To think about it till the place where you, it literally paints an image on the inside of you of that promise being fulfilled. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, all thy heart, full-fledged imagination, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all your ways, watch this, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The word acknowledge isn't a casual head glance. It's the Hebrew word yada, and it's the same word used in Genesis chapter 4, down verse 1, where it talks about, and Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bare a son. How many know Adam's knowing of Eve was more than just seeing her picture on Facebook? Right? It was intimacy. It was intimacy. That's powerful. That's what it's talking about. You have intimacy with the Lord through your imagination. I'm not talking about sexual perversion. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. Intimacy, intercourse with the Word of God by using your imagination. And when you do, you, it produces fruit. The reproductive reasoning of your mind, the loins of your imagination. Look at this. Hallelujah. Till it paints a picture. Let's go look at this one. Go to 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4. So, so good. 1 John 4. Some of you know some of this, but I don't know if you know it all. Watch this. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. You have to know it and you have to believe it. Or in us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect or complete or comes to maturity. Here's, here's what that looks like. That we may have boldness, and that word boldness is outspoken uh, boldness. It's a, it's a boldness that speaks up. Once again, remember 2 Corinthians 4.13, we believe, therefore we speak. But here's how the love's made perfect or mature or complete in us, his love, that we may have Boldness in the day of judgment. In the day of judgment. Now watch this. That's not talking about the future judgment. It's talking about judgment in this life when something comes that Jesus has been judged for, such as sickness. If you have, if the love of Christ has been matured and your understanding has been perfected, you have boldness in the day of judgment that you can speak up and it's not just parroting a confession book. It's something that's a reality in your heart. And then it goes on to say, because as he is, so are we in this world. Once again, what if we walked around just like Jesus? I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm saying where it's a reality in your heart that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The next verse says, when, you have, when the love is matured in you, his love, and you understand how much he loves you, you have boldness in the day of judgment. You recognize that as Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father, so are you if you're born again. Look what that does. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out torment. What, what's the perfect love? What he just talked about. 
Understanding that as he is, so am I in this world. It will cast out fear. Hallelujah. Like light cast out darkness. But so much of the body of Christ, we're, we teach people how to shovel darkness out of the room instead of turn the light on. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears has not been made mature or understands the love of God for him. Watch this. This is so good. The word torment is one other place. The Greek word is one other place in the entire New Testament. Anybody want to guess where that's at? Matthew 25, 46. After Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, watch this. The goats go away into everlasting punishment. Referring to hell. It's the same word used for here. Here for the torment of fear. That's heavy. That's heavy. You know, people say, well, you know, hell's here. Well, no, hell's not here. There is a literal hell. But there's a partial truth. You know, when, it, when they take part in, in fear, because that's going to be a big part of hell. <laughs> but perfect love, understanding that love, marinating in that love, gives me boldness to speak up, to declare. This is all part of fulfilling God's a will in your life, his purpose. Many people don't feel worthy to fulfill it. Here's the truth. They're not, but Jesus made them worthy. They are worthy in him. In themselves, they're not. I told uh, you guys the story about a lady I was talking to on the phone and she was praying, well, maybe, I didn't, maybe I'm not believing this, or maybe I'm just, you know. And I said, you're probably not. But ask yourself, is Jesus believing right? See, I'm, I'm, we spend our whole life trying to fix our flesh. Right? And it's useless. Look at him. You're dead. Your life is hid with Christ in, in God. Amen? That's, that's a fight to get to that place. No. I'm as he is. People look at the earthen vessel and they say, yeah, whatever. Nope, that the excellency and the power may be of God and not of me. Man, that's new covenant stuff right there. That stuff brings you persecution <laughs> from religion. Imagination, letter K, is a very important concept to understand. It is one of the things that will allow you to fulfill God's will. Now, let me say this. I called it Sunday. I, and, and actually, this past Sunday and the Sunday before, I believe it's like the keychain on the keys of the kingdom. Matthew 16, Peter had that revelation of Jesus being the Christ. Remember that? And he, and he, said, I, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, is loosed in heaven. I believe the keys, plural, are the word, the scriptures, the written word, and prayer. They're keys. But they have to be cut from the master key, which is Jesus. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. He that overcomes, we overcome by faith, not by effort. He that overcomes... Sean Her uh, I will give him the key of David, which opens open doors which no, no man can shut and shut doors which no man can open. You know that whole thing? But that's the master key. And I said this before. The key of David was not that he was a praiser and worshiper, which he was. The key of David was he understood how to relate to God through a covenant. You don't believe me? I'm waiting for somebody not to believe me. All right, let me show it to you. Watch this. This is mind-blowing. If you go, the Psalms are amazing. They really are. 
And David wrote the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them. And right after his sin, I mean, it was a bad, bad sin. He has adultery with the man's wife. And then to cover it up, he has her murdered. And he reaped terrible consequences for that sin. His son Absalom went nuts. It was a lot of bad things. But you know what David did? That one of the things I believe that really made him a man after God's own heart, he appealed to the covenant God. This is in Psalm 51. This is uh, right after Nathan rebuked him for the sin of murder and adultery. And right away, David says in verse 1 of Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, which that's that Hebrew word hasid, and it means covenant loyalty. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. The key of David was he understood how to relate to God through a covenant, even when he deserved death. Under the law, he deserved to die. But an old covenant man, you and I are in the substance of the new covenant. The covenant is Jesus. Isaiah 42, 6 and Isaiah 49, 8. God gave him for a covenant. Now watch this. Imagination, letter K, is a very important concept to understand. It is one of the things that will allow us to fulfill God's will. Once again, the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 16, made from the master key, which is Jesus, the covenant we have with God. But the key chain that keeps it all together is the godly use of your imagination through the word of God. If you, if you have the keys of prayer and the keys of the word, but they've not been cut from the master key of Jesus Christ and him, him crucified, his redemptive work, they won't work right. You'll pray old covenant prayers, right? People do it all the time. Take me past the outer courts into the holy place. That's an old covenant prayer. I know there's pictures and types in that, but guess what? In the new covenant, you're the temple of God, the Nahas, which is the holy of holies, the holy place, the holy of holies in the holy place. You, that's what it says. There's Nahas and there's another Greek word, Hirion, that the entire temple. But you're the Nahas of God in the new covenant. Hallelujah. Look at this. I'm debating. I got other scriptures on them. Well, we're land here. There's one page. You have to go beyond the surface to the point where the word of God literally changes the way you see things with your heart. Now, that's another power statement. We have to go beyond the surface in our thinking to the point where the word of God literally changes the way we see things with our heart. This is why. You know, I know we like to take mental breaks, but, you know, we have to be careful just allowing ourselves to be fed, you know, stuff. We've got to take charge. Once again, the Holy Spirit will help you do that. He really will. Amen. I'm going to read something I feel led to read since we've got a little bit of time and then we're going to land. This is another guy I know. And I'm going to read this to you. Hold on here. We will get it. He's from Colorado, and his name is, you ready for his name? Kaiwiki. I, I thought you were ready. I love this, what he says. 
Entering into 2022, I saw the Lord igniting his people with the fiery spirit of prayer. How can we partner with him? Pray in tongues all the time. I want to encourage you, praying in the spirit is one of the greatest exercises and disciplines you can commit to. When I was 17, a spiritual leader in my life challenged me saying, pray in tongues for an hour a day from start to finish. It will revolutionize your life. I was young, zealous, and wanted to do whatever I could to experience more of the Lord and answer his calling on my life. I took the challenge and it stuck with me for 21 years. Praying in the spirit becomes a lifeline that guarantees spiritual strength, refreshing, and changes your surroundings. Hold on here, I'll get it back. It becomes a holy addiction and requirement for daily life. I've woken up feeling like a loser. Anybody ever done that? A failure and worthless. But I chose to pray in tongues for an hour. And by the end of that hour, I'm refreshed, rejuvenated, and ready to shake atmospheres. And an hour quickly turns into hours. Stewarding this gift guarantees so many benefits. Amen. I wanted to close with that. That's powerful, but you, when you pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit, meditate the Word, engage your imagination. They work together. Pray in your understanding while you're praying in the Spirit, and that'll really be a blessing to you. Amen? Are you blessed? Amen. Father, I want to pray right now for those here and for those that may be watching at another time. I release the life of Christ that's in me. Word of God, go forth in Jesus' name. Touch needs, touch physical bodies, touch eyes, touch hearts, both physical hearts and spiritual hearts, Lord. And we just thank you for the work that you're doing. I thank you that the angels of God, myriads of God's angels are around us. In the new covenant, those have come to Mount Zion, according to Hebrews chapter 12. I receive that now in Jesus' name. And if you receive that, whether you're here or there, say amen. You're blessed.